Welcome to our latest Indic Book Club author Q&A. And I am specially delighted to introduce today's author, Sai Surupa Ayer. And Sai Surupa is an author who began her journey in 2015 with her first book, Abhaya. She followed that up in 2017 with her second book, Avishi. Her third book followed a year later, Mori. And uh, immediately after that, in 2019, her book, Draupadi, was published by Rupa uh, Publishers. And in 2020, she curated an anthology of 10 relatively unknown stories battle, uh, of uh, uh, unknown battles from the Mahabharata, and which also introduced uh, to the world uh, 10 uh, you know, new, uh, bright, uh, brilliant authors. And this was published by Bloomsbury. And now, just about less than a month back, her latest book, Rupani, Krishna's Wife, has launched. And you can see a cover of that uh, book uh, behind Sai as well as uh, uh, on, on my uh, virtual background. And there she is holding a copy of, uh, and it's got, an, uh, it's, so the book is not only an excellent, wonderful book, but it's got, uh, you know, praise and rightfully so from a wide variety of authors, including uh, the best-selling author, Amish Tripathi. So with that, uh, welcome Sai to our Indic Book Club author Q&A. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Abhinav. It's being home. So, uh, we, so since we are, uh, you know, in the book club, I am going to, to ask you questions that a lot of, uh, you know, our, our members and other people are interested. But let me first begin by reading out a short blurb of your book, Rukmini. And it says, part history, part legend, part sacred lore. Rukmini will leave the readers spellbound. A princess, a lover, a goddess, an overarching emperor thought uh, he would use her as a pawn. Her eldest brother became a tool of her enemy in her own family, she had none to call her own, but Rukmini, the princess of Vidar, made a choice. She would not bow down to patriarchy. The story of Rukmini is often overshadowed by the glorious expo exploits of her charismatic husband, Krishna Vasudev. For the very first time, this novel gives Rukmini her due. It portrays the life of the feisty bride who made bold choices, not only while eloping with her beloved, but all through her life to become a resplendent goddess, a fitting partner to the most beloved god of the land. And I can say that... Uh, the, the book, uh, you know, does uh, an, uh, not only a marvelous, but a very moving, evocative, uh, you know, journey through Rukmini's life. And I want to start off with that question. So there is a, I can see that there's a conscious choice to tell this as Rukmini's story from Rukmini's uh, point of view. This is not Krishna and his exploits with Rukmini as a witness to those events. This is Rukmini's life and everyone else is a part of that journey of her life. So how difficult was it to write a story, to write a book on a character that is so closely associated with Krishna and yet keep it her story? So yes, Abhinav, it was quite, a, I would say, a challenge that I really enjoyed uh, because uh, 
uh, it's not about keeping uh, you know uh, the challenge was not exactly about uh, keeping rukmini in the you know centers on the center stage but uh, about being conscious about krishna's presence all around right and uh, that's uh, krishna is someone who we cannot uh, undermine you know even with the most malicious intent he is someone who comes out so strongly and uh, you know it's almost uh, every entry of krishna every uh, dialogue of krishna every uh, because the whole greatness of rukmini hinged upon how krishna is portrayed and vice versa so that's uh, that's what was uh, Uh, i wouldn't like to use the word challenge here but that's what kept me alive and uh, you know conscious over every sentence i used to type because uh, i found that constant need to hear what i was about to type uh, i had to hear it from you know from some plane of my mind as to it has to look like krishna is talking it has to look like rukmini is talking it has to look like they existed in the times of mahabharata and uh, you know there has to be that resonance uh, between all the you know all the whole of that dynamics as well as there has to be a resonance with myself and hopefully the reader so this is what kept me uh, if not uh, you know uh, i wouldn't again call it a challenge but uh, the level of my consciousness was really at its peak while i was writing with me i <clears throat> that's a very interesting phrase you know you you uh, and the bit that you talked about that you know you want plane of consciousness that you that you wrote with uh i'll i'll park i have i think two questions around that i'll park one of them for the second part but the first one is uh how did the inspiration for the story begin because if you you know you've written all your books have been about about uh, uh, you know female characters whether it was a fictional character with the first book uh, like uh, abhya or you know the brief mention of uh, this uh, you know this this girl with a prosthetic leg in avishi that uh, you know yeah. you uh, you know that you weaved an entire uh, you know tale of adventure around that they've always been about female protagonists and if you talk of krishna there is no shortage of uh, you could one can very easily talk about radha your previous book draupadi also has pivotal events of her life connected you know with krishna so was it just a natural logical choice to pick rukmini or uh, how did that inspiration strike you so when i started talking with my publisher uh, even before draupadi right uh, rukmini was our first choice uh, in uh, back in 2017 18 rukmini was the first choice in fact but uh, yes but uh, you know by the time we finalized the contract uh, somehow we zeroed down on draupadi and by the like in the interim period uh, rukmini had you know taken birth and become so strong uh, uh, you know so compelling that uh, he, she almost made a gate crashing entry into draupadi if you remember you know so Correct. there were a lot of uh, readers who said uh, okay for those two scenes it was rukmini all along so you know 
maybe we should uh, you know uh, look forward for a book for, on rukmini and uh, it was like uh, again like uh, i would say a godsend opportunity because uh, the publisher came back asking for uh, rukmini and that day i remember happened to be a friday and uh, friday i usually chant uh, lalita sahasranama as well as uh, kanakadhara stotram and uh, the kanakadhara stotram has this line namostu nandatmaja vallabhayai and uh, that was the day i again got a proposal from the publisher to write a book on rukmini and i just grabbed it with both the hands with my hands so uh, uh, you know a creative urge met a divine intervention is i think what uh, it strikes me and well you know how can one go wrong with uh, with the combination such a uh so i i want to talk about about uh, you said you know rule and we are told that when his father i think bookmark they had very strong opinions on uh, how rukmini's life should proceed and then once she marries krishna and becomes a part of that uh, you know of that uh, uh, family and all there is a different uh, side to rukmini that we see yes so can you tell us a little bit about that part so uh, from the way i could envision rukmini's life right uh, the times of mahabharata there is a i know we uh, a lot of uh, people who gloss over mahabharata miss the central character called jarasandha uh, you know from a point of view of the you know the kaurava pandava dynamics uh, his exit is rather too early you know jarasandha's exit is rather too early but if you actually look at the history of ancient india at that time jarasandha was a figure to reckon he had uh, dominated uh, you know his uh, his domination over india was not through conquests you know not not through rajasuyas and all that but uh, you know through these marital alliances uh he he would interfere into uh the internal affairs of each of these kingdoms uh you know if somebody appears to him as a threat he would subtly try to win him over win the other uh, promising uh, nemesis over to his side or try to weaken him by strengthening his enemy with a marital alliance and uh, you know consequently the other two uh, kings would ally with him and you know he could uh, you know negotiate or he 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 could uh, prevail over whatever was the conflict so this happened for a one whole generation right like uh, the good example uh, which you know we need to uh, study bhagavatam and mahabharata side by side to uh, observe these things or you know rather harivamsham and uh, mahabharata so pandu pandu was a very powerful king uh till destiny sent him back you know to the forest pandu was you know he would have been a very promising uh, answer to jarasandha which is why we also see jarasandha trying to gain a foothold over uh, uh, the kuru region by getting his daughters married to kamsa 
right otherwise yeah, right. Uh, you know uh, from a very <laughs> macro point of view kamsa is nothing i mean why would a powerful king like jarasandha give his two daughters to a very small yadava you know no he, and kamsa was not even the overlord of correct yeah so it's actually kamsa grew on the back of jarasandha which is you know which means that jarasandha wanted kamsa to grow and hopefully become a uh, what do you say pain in the neck to the kurus so that kurus uh stand back and probably he had other plans for the other powerful kingdom that is panchala so that way uh, then uh, you know he already had uh, you know engineered so many alliances and uh, had his indirect control over so many kingdoms and the whole thing controlled you know go, went on for the whole generation that is pandu's generation and then uh, our friends come in uh, the kauravas pandavas krishna and rukmini's generation which is when uh, you know we should uh, acknowledge that rukmini's rebellion put a full stop to jarasandha's juggernaut or and that is and that is why because of uh, uh, the alliance or or uh, you know because uh, what do you call uh, shishu because of shishupal yes so he i mean probably chedi was already allied to him and uh, he had uh, you know dominated over uh, vidarbha uh, we hear through military means and then uh, you know he just wanted to cement it by uh, you know by marrying rukmini and shishupala so that uh, vidarbha will not have guts to rebel against him you know any time in future because chedi you know shishupala will be grateful probably he had similar plans for rukmi you know from some some princess from somewhere married to rukmi and you know both of them would be his uh, minions and uh, you know basically his control over uh, india is strong for another generation so that was uh, that could have been jarasandha's plan uh, and his plan came to full stop at you know two places one is krishna killing kamsa uh, krishna killing kamsa ensured that uh, kurus got back control over their land i mean there were there were nobody to challenge the kurus uh, on the, the, uh, you know in this ganga yamuna uh, between the yamuna and ganga plains basically so that's a fertile land you know that's something for us to note so and once the kurus are powerful uh, you know the, there is a little bit of a, you know pause in the whole journey of jarasandha in the trajectory of jarasandha there is a flattening of his trajectory and then uh, panchalas right they had to uh, krishna had to see that panchalas whatever happens panchalas don't go and ally with uh, jarasandha and uh, things happened in yeah correct and jarasandha was one of the people one of the kings who had come to draupadi swamvar mahabharat tells us yes yes and if i remember uh, i don't exactly remember from the critical edition but uh, you know it's a horrific uh, uh, visual abhinav uh, one of the regional mahabharata tales act so for that swamvar of draupadi jarasandha who's like equal you know equal in age to her grandfather he tried you know his son sahadeva he tried and failed i mean both of them failed thankfully uh, and his grandson tried 
and failed. Oh my God. So, uh, you know, you just look at the stakes in there. I mean, you know, we all uh, blame Yudhishthira for uh, his gambling and all, but nobody thinks about Drupada. That was a gamble that thankfully, you know, didn't you know, go awry like, uh, you know, Yudhishthira's gamble. So essentially, that decision of Rukmini to first of all say upfront that she had no interest in marrying, uh, uh, you know, and she has some very, very interesting descriptions and words to, you know, for Shishupal in your book. But uh, first of all, she said she had no interest in marrying uh, Shishupal. And secondly, she doesn't stop just there. She sends her trusted, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, how, how should I say it, a trusted elder yes. to Krishna as her messenger, which is, I mean, uh, this is something that, uh, because the discovery would have resulted not only in possible death for the, for the messenger, but also, you know, severe consequences for a Rukmini. And yet she went ahead and she took that decision. Yeah, that takes a lot of bravery and, uh, you know, that uh, risk appetite on uh, anyone's part, which is why uh, Rukmini came out as this very feisty and uh, rebellious feisty and a very strong uh, uh, lady in, you know, the way I saw things or the way I could uh, visualize it uh, that uh, could appear as a, you know, st starking contrast to the traditional portrayal of Rukmini along, uh, you know, the classic literature, uh, the classical age literature as we see. Uh, yes, uh, because the presence of the messenger here is a very important aspect, uh, you know, which gives a lot of legitimacy to Rukmini's choice. Right, because uh, I know in the, the whole eight Vivaha, uh, you know, uh, construct, right? Uh, if uh, if Rukmini's consent was uh, violated, you know, if she, if she was forced, you know, kind of physically forced into that wedding, uh, it would have become a Paisachika Vivaha, though, that, though it would have been given an appearance of a Brahma or Deva Vivaha with all those rituals and all going on. Right, but it's in uh, uh, in reality a paisachika vivaha if she is uh, forced down into that wedding, right? And uh, you know the entry of uh, our Agni Dyotana, uh, you know the in South he is called Agni Dyotana. I don't know exactly. He has a different name in the northern uh, texts, but uh, the his entry as a Brahmana, a uh, very learned person, he would not, uh, you know uh, that. Uh, somebody seeped into Shastras would not allow a Paisachika Vivaha to happen, right? So there is a, Correct. yes. So that way this Agnidyotana comes across as a very, uh, you know, dedicated Brahman who, who is actually dedicated and committed to his Shastraic knowledge, which is why uh, we see him actively encouraging an elopement because that elopement has a uh, has the consent of the bride you know that's better than forcing a woman into a wedlock that she doesn't want to because gods get angry when uh, you know when a woman is forced into a wedlock uh, out of her you know without her consent gods get angry and that has that's what shastras tell us right and so it's a uh, uh, what do you say it, that's something which uh, we need to keep in mind because of uh, the, the traditional portrayal of uh, Brahmins is that, you know, they stick with uh, a lot of 
conservative uh, this one side or whatever but here we see a brahmin encouraging a princess to rebel against her her family and facilitating her elopement and uh, surprisingly rukmini kalyana is one episode uh, especially in andhra pradesh uh, in the telugu states and probably even the, in the neighboring states unmarried girls are uh, encouraged to read the story of rukmini uh, so that they get a good husband fascinating and <laughs> you know on uh, uh, on this uh, question or or on this point right so i think one of the points that comes across is that there is no substitute to reading our texts in their original or at least their unabridged form because as we have seen uh, you know uh, 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 retellings or these uh, you know so called uh, uh, you know mythya tellings and all that that we see they tend to cause more damage and distortions than you know serve the purpose and that's a tragedy because the unabridged texts have a very different and bold take on on our traditions and in that i i will uh, i wanted to ask you about uh, uh, two things one is that uh, one sort of a pivotal or a key episode that you know a lot of in fact when i was uh, looking this up on the net i actually saw that uh, you know empty uh, ramarao had starred in a movie uh, on this episode and you know what i'm referring to so that is missing from your book i i was really curious uh, you know obviously that was a conscious decision choice on your part so i want to understand why you chose to skip that and once you answer that i'll move on to my next one sure uh, i'll need some bandwidth to answer that because uh, it took a lot uh, from me to bypass that particular episode so the episode uh, that we are talking about is uh, tulabha is popularly known as tulabhara or parijata paharanam so th- this comes as a very small chapter in the harivamsham uh, so at least it's there in the telugu harivamsham so uh, and always uh, and also in i think in the vishnu purana as well but uh, what happens there is that uh, there is you know post narakasura vadha you know narakasura is killed uh, by krishna as well as uh, satyabhama and uh, satyabhama is enjoying the you know fame and popularity that brought her because you know she killed a demon who was harassing so many women and uh, she was basically at the top of her popularity at that time and uh, uh, in in that juncture uh, when narada brings uh, a flower a parijata flower from the swarga and he tells krishna ki you should give us to the most deserving give this flower to the most de- deserving of your wives so this is so this is unsurprisingly narad muni at her doing what he did best <laughs> exactly <laughs> no so uh, i mean uh, that that movie is actually a very beautiful movie it's called uh, sri krishna tulabharamo but uh, you know uh, each character is done uh, justice uh, so very well from the aesthetics as well as uh, spiritual uh, significance of you know uh, that each of them wielded so uh, so he says uh, you know give this flower to the most beautiful i mean most deserving of your wives and uh, i think logically everybody would uh, expect krishna to give that to uh, satyabhama because he's she scored him such a big victory right uh, and he surprises everyone by giving it to rukmini and understandably satyabhama is 
so angry and uh, she makes krishna gift her the whole of parijata tree okay so, yeah uh, the basically they go to the swargaloka and demand uh, the parijata tree and there is a bit of a struggle between in, uh, the, the fight between indra and krishna and then aditi <laughs> Uh, Adit, uh, Mother Aditi, she comes in between and uh, convinces Indra to give Parijata to her. And there is a warning that Shachi, uh, Shachi Devi gives that Parijata is a wish-fulfilling tree. You know, it doesn't measure your karma, and uh, you know you are taking. And this is supposed to be uh, in a land where people come to enjoy their merits. so you uh, you uh, have you acquire punya you go to swarga and you demand whatever you know you want from the parijata tree there is a balance but now you are taking it to a, a zone which runs on karma so it's bound to cause imbalance that's the uh, you know though that, that's uh, that's the best lesson that i learned from the whole uh, reading the whole uh, this one and now uh, the parijata tree comes and still satyabhama is so uh, what do you say insecure and then uh, she arranges for this uh, tulabhara that is uh, it ha- it's a vrata where uh, she gives away her husband in dana to correct uh, yeah to narada here again and to win back her husband she has to give narada uh equivalent of uh, you know gold or riches equivalent to krishna's weight yeah yeah this is where uh, all her gold from the shyamantaka mani and uh, you know whatever her financial genius she was she acquired everything uh, goes waste and uh, she has to turn to rukmini to help her and rukmini uh, uh, just keeps her tulasi dala and uh, you know the whole balance that uh, equals krishna's weight so basically it's a, it's a what do you say it's a story that uh, tells the message of that uh, gives the message of patram pushpam phalam toyam yome that the, that that's a shloka from the bhagavad gita where krishna says you know with the, with that true surrender of heart if you can offer me a leaf or a flower or even water you know i'll be happy with that so this the whole story is basically a, a demonstration of uh, that one shloka from the bhagavad gita now uh, my <laughs> problem with this story uh, you know is that i don't have a problem with the episode as such it has beautiful lessons and uh, you know beautiful aesthetics uh, built into it but uh, my problem with uh, reconciling this particular episode with uh, the macro picture of uh, mahabharata right uh, first of all you know this uh, this doesn't contribute to the arc of rukmini no rukmini the way she starts out at the beginning of tulabhara story as a devoted wife who is not at all insecure you know who is perfectly in balance with uh, what krishna does uh, she is in resonance and balance with krishna does uh, it's it is satyabhama's journey so the story rightfully belongs to satyabhama and not to rukmini here so and uh, the craft uh, you know the demand of storytelling craft uh, it Uh, is that you know this the central character undergoes a transformation so the the whole story of tulabharam doesn't add or subtract anything from rukmini you know she's she's what she is that's one thing the other thing is uh, you know about 
the whole dynamics of mahabharata itself like uh, you know there is the rajasuya has happened as well as then the it, it is very quickly followed by this game of dice which has put the you know whole fate of uh, bharatvarsha into uncertainty we don't know who will ditch which side who will shift sides or if there are there new battles that are going to come like uh, say kekaya divided kekaya is related to krishna well, the uh, princess of kekaya is uh, married to krishna in her family yes. there was a divide and uh, you know her five brothers come to the pandava side and the other side goes to the kaurava side and then there are you know many more such family feuds which added their weight with you know with divided sides magadha had a break up there was there were so many uh, kingdoms that had uh, these kind of feuds and each of them chose sides and in that kind of impending uh, uh, i would say uh, doom uh, you know it's like destruction is closing upon bharatvarsha and in that juncture i could not pictureize a household rivalry within krishna's wives uh, so and the way satyabhama made her appearance uh, itself in my story was uh, you know as a very strong uh, pillar of support to rukmini i couldn't pictureize them fighting makes sense makes sense and uh, i i i want to shift and i think we will also want to leave time for q and a because we already have i think three or four questions coming uh, in and uh, once people uh, uh, you know they can put in their questions through the chat uh, uh, button or the q and q and a functionality we'll take that but i have to i have to ask you now you know you brought that up about the craft of storytelling and this is also related to the second part or the second question i said i i wanted to ask which is now <clears throat> we all know the story how and and especially how it's going to end and uh, you know uh, gandhari's curse could not be wished away nor could the foolishness of sambha be wished away by uh, doing what he did and inviting the you know the curse from the sages uh, how do you how do you manage that transition without uh, either you know a uh, uh, without either softening the story or since it is your story or telling how you know and also without taking those creative liberties that can uh, you know cross over into distortions uh, if if i may use the word okay that's all i think there are two parts to this question one is about creative liberty as uh, you know the way uh, storytellers of this particular genre should use creative liberty i'll handle that first uh, uh, so it's it's an open question abhinav it's like i think each storyteller has to uh, face this question of how much creative liberty is justified right that is something which we answer to our own conscience but an interesting uh, conclusion that i arrived uh, with respect to creative liberty is that in reality it is not liberty it is limitation so vedavyasa vedavyasa visualized or you know actually has seen witnessed the whole thing which he wrote right he could write it with that authority 
I mean, he himself is Vishnu, and he could write everything with a certain authority. Now, uh, as storytellers, we have two choices. We can try and revisualize everything, which takes uh, the amount of uh, say tapasya or sadhana it takes is a lot. Or we can simply summarize and retell. You know, which is uh, which is great because we need retellers who don't uh, you know take too many uh, don't don't take too many deviations as well. Uh, like say Rajagopalachari did uh, his Mahabharata, and, uh, you know, because those uh, reading those five thousand six thousand page critical editions is a daunting job for a normal person. But uh, you know, anybody can be uh, comfortable with the story of Mahabharata Bhagavata Ramayana by reading Rajaji's summaries. Well. Yeah, so uh, that's about retellers, but about storytellers who want to revisualize as well as uh, look at the story from a contemporary sensibility, right? Uh, that's what storytellers have been doing Correct. Correct. along centuries. It's not like, uh, you know, we 21st century novelists uh, became smart enough to question Veda Vyasa. It's not like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, like the whole Prabandha literature written in the 15th, 16th centuries, uh, say all the court poets of uh, Krishna Devaraya, like say the Parijata Paharana itself, right? Uh, it's a small chapter in Harivamsham expanded into a whole work of, I don't know, hundreds of poems. Uh, you know, it creates new characters. It uh, has conversations between characters, which reflect the sensibilities of 15th century. So basically, uh, these works will have will definitely have a chapter on how a state is administered, and they take the opportunity to uh, glorify Sri Krishna Devaraya. He deserves all glorification, but uh, you know, so, but uh, we can see that uh, the whole uh, uh, purpose, or you know, one of the purposes of writing that work is fleshing out uh, whatever is happening in that per particular time period from the eyes of our timeless uh, characters our you know it can be krishna narada or krishna vyasa or you know or these varudhini pravara or anybody so so the whole exercise here is about internalizing what Vedavyasa has originally written. I mean, uh, when I say Vedavyasa, I intend to include Valdiki as well as an Itihasa writer. So it's about understanding and going uh, so deeply understanding what they have written enough to apply it into a different Deshakala Paristhiti. Right. So it's a literary as well as a, so, you know, you can say a philosophical or a spiritual literary socio-political exercise. So here's a question, right? So yes, uh, there is a creative liberty, there is an artistic license, and then you said, uh, you know, applying it to the socio-political context, uh, you know, the Deshkala Paristhiti that you said. So that is obviously, you know, completely understandable and unless mental an author is bringing their own perspective, their own creativity to it, uh, you know, they might as well be doing a translation from the original. They, they in which case, I would have nothing new to add. But when one is retelling it, keeping the current socio-political context in mind, isn't there, I mean, how do you uh, strike a balance or how do you uh, guard against bringing in agendas 
and i and i mean agendas both positive and negative and we have seen umpteen examples of authors bringing in their own negative agendas uh, trying to uh, you know judge a text and characters thousands of years in the past using some woke social constructs of the 21st century uh, those are extreme examples admittedly but yes. there there's a conti- this is a continuum right so how do you know you have you are still within this uh, you know it's strictly speaking if you look at it it's a line in the sand and you know it only when when you cross it but how do you as a writer keep that in mind one thing here i don't have exactly a logical answer here abhinav because uh, you know at the end of the day uh, rukmini krishna or even the smallest character in the book have to uh, accept what my prayers to them are and uh, you know i need to hear it back unless uh, the storyteller hears it back from the characters i don't think uh, there is there will be a balance between the content and what is being shown that is where uh, i will not take names of very good writer i mean very good writers as you said uh, started peddling their agenda you know when uh, you know uh, into these stories and i mean both you know people who are pro indic civilization and people who are die hard anti indic civilization if i can say that uh, you know when a uh, when we reach a place uh, where the author's agenda starts speaking uh, the reader will find that out you know he'll suddenly stop hearing rukmini and start hearing sai swarupa <laughs> yes i i suppose uh, yes. correct correct i suppose that you know that in itself is a topic for an entire talk in itself but i before i uh, move to the q and a i want to ask uh, some questions on the craft of writing so obviously since your first book in 2015 and i uh, you know I, i'm tempted to ask you whether your you know your career as an investment professional and excel worksheets is what turned you towards such a creative writer but uh, talking about and such a prolific writer since 2015 right there's been a book coming out almost every year uh tell us something about the craft of writing itself and i know that you know, a lot of people often enough have this question some uh, try and they 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 read and they try and improve some of them you know struggle with that journey of uh, because knowledge of the subject is one thing but putting it in the confines of a 200 250 uh, 300 page book yes. that uh, engages a reader right that in itself is a very different thing that uh, sometimes i think a lot of uh, uh, upcoming writers uh, underestimate tell us something about that so the craft of writing here is uh, basically uh, now i would want to point out the difference between indic storytelling and the modern storytelling the commercial storytelling which has its roots in western storytelling uh, my simple way of differentiating is pull and push uh, from our management models hmm. so the original bhagavata as well as uh, you know even ramayana and mahabharata and the whole puranas you know they had a listener with an adhikara and parikshit parikshit when he sought the story of bhagavatam from shuka bhagavan uh, he did not uh, he left his life basically his uh, daily life he dedicated himself to hearing whatever you know shukadeva has 
got to tell him not because parikshit uh, did not know i mean what's the he is the grandson of the sister of krishna right uh, so he knows the story of krishna it's not possible that he doesn't know it right but he saw the value in uh, shuka's interpre- interpretation of what was documented by vedavyasa which is why he was you know in an open with an open mind he just sat with that surrender same with janmejaya you know i mean he is absolutely obviously he would know the story of his own great grandfathers you know that would have, they would have told him you know number of times but vaishampayana had something to add and he trusts vaishampayana to give him something uh, of value so he left his kingdom affairs you know whatever to his brothers sat with vaishampayana for 15 days 21 days or whatever and so here the listener is not in a hurry Correct. so Correct. yes Correct. shuka and the vaishampayana had that luxury of uh, expanding over the central messages you know whatever messages that come from each story but in the modern uh, world we are targeting readers who ha- uh, firstly who may not even know the story who may mm-hmm. not know the value of the story or who are fed wrong notions of the story uh, so basically we are just uh, trying to get their attention so for that attention we need hooks what uh, hook is the technical word used in the craft of writing so so when you say even the blurb uh, you know when it says for the first time this uh, book does justice to rukmini it sounds very arrogant to be you know honest on my part but this that's an attempt to create a hook that this is a story which you may not have heard so that creates an interest and once uh, you know then the starting uh, of the story has to you know introduce the whole problem or uh, you know whatever that world faces or the journey that the author uh, the, sorry the protagonist has to undertake or like say rukmini you know the whole journey is now uh, at least the first part her journey is about finding her way to krishna escaping shishupala and jarasandha and then the second part would be about how she uh, puts up with the changing dynamics so that's uh, again with abhaya it was about the how uh, naraka asura the bhauma was trying to weave his uh, you know his uh, strategy over bharatvarsha and uh, correct yeah how abhaya is it's the same with each story which follows a certain formula uh, so coming again uh, coming to the craft right so we introduce a character who has stakes like any any normal reader has Okay. Uh, yes, we try and connect the normal reader to uh, uh, to our central character. It's in a normal life, and then there is an inciting incident, right? I mean, Rukmini is introduced uh, as a you know as a princess, so probably a bit spoiled or uh, you know pampered because she's the youngest after so many brothers. You know, there's no we don't uh, come across a mother, so you know, as a pampered princess. a girl child with strong opinions is somebody we always love but what uh, makes her get out of her daily life and act is you know her fixing of her wedding with shishupala which which that is something she has to escape from and there her journey starts 
so that is the so those that inciting incident is what uh, defines our story and that's what makes the reader root for the character and the beautiful aspect of mahabharata is that it uh, suits indic storytelling as well as the modern storytelling it suits push and pull in such a perfect way right and then there are these game changers where one game changer happens uh, in the favor of the protagonist and there is another game changer that happens in the favor of the antagonist and then there is a whole conflict so mahabharata is as if you know it's designed for that uh, story that storytelling which keeps uh, the reader interested which is why we haven't lost interest in mahabharata and still we see arjuna fan club and karna fan club coming to blows <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so uh, let me move to some questions now because there are some very interesting questions that have come up so uh, arjun narayanam uh, has uh, narayanam has a question uh, he uh, says the cult of satyabhama is very strong in the south especially in dance and music in andhra did any of those musical works inspire your work oh hello arjun uh, nice to see you here and he uh, and, and he has another uh, he has another question or maybe uh, go ahead with this one uh, sign then uh, sure. i'll you know we'll take this his second question up sure so there is a, the presence of satyabhama in indian dance especially south indian dance is very uh, you know it's a it's uh, satyabhama has a significant uh, presence basically in kuchipudi which is uh, you know andhra uh, uh, version of uh, it's not uh, it's a variant of bharatanatyam but with a lot of uh, grace and aesthetics uh, you know which are very unique to kuchipudi so there the uh, the last uh, item that uh, uh, the a guru teaches uh, her disciple his disciple is uh, called bhama kalapam so it's set into a raga called bhairavi and uh, says uh, when it has satyabhama declaring uh what about her managed to make her favorite of krishna so the the word bhama kalapam itself is a household word a word in uh, you know many of rooted families so yes and uh, then adding to that you have this the whole narakasura incident where uh, satyabhama is uh, believed to have killed narakasura or at least supported krishna while killing narakasura and uh, the tradition believes that satyabhama is bhudevi while rukmini uh, rukmini is shridevi or lakshmi satyabhama is bhudevi and each of the vaishnava kshetras uh, have uh, vishnu uh, this kalyanotsava where vishnu is married to both of them in tirupati uh, kalyanotsava happens every day and every day he is uh, married to shridevi and bhudevi and uh, you know satyabhama is probably a greater favorite because of her journey so basically rukmini has a flatter journey compared to satyabhama you know who has a who has a steeper internal journey if you know if i can use that right. word uh, so yes satyabhama is very dear to uh, all south indians and probably north indians who uh, who are aware of uh, the whole aesthetic uh, surrounding her 
uh, and I grew up with those works, Abhidhav. So they, they had, I think they did influence me. It's hard to say they did not influence me. Uh, they influenced the entry, uh, the whole, uh, uh, the way Satyabhama appeared to me in Rukmini was like, uh, you know, I could not uh, forget that it is Bhudevi. And Bhudevi is a symbol of uh, resilience, patience, and not because, uh, you know, she's a submissive or anything, because, you know, one earthquake is all it takes for her to put us in our place. So it's not, uh, so Bhudevi's resilience doesn't come from uh, submissiveness, it comes from excessive strength, right? Which is why I, yeah, uh, so I could not uh, visualize Satya Bhama as somebody spoiled and uh, attention seeking the way she has been portrayed. Uh, this whole belief that she's Bhudevi uh, made me uh, look at Satyabhama in uh, another way. And so, coming to Radha. Correct, uh, correct. That was a, that is Arjun's second yes. question. So Radha is again, uh, you know, uh, K.M. Munshi ji in his Krishnavatara, he says Radha is a problem child of Indian imagination. Because uh, Bhagavatam does not mention her except for some very uh, uh, one shloka which doesn't even mention her name. Bhagavatam mentions her as the one lady with whom Krishna disappears leaving all the other gopikas during his Rasalila. And the later Puranas make a guess that she is Radha. Mahabharata, no mention. Vishnu Purana, no mention. So the probably the first mention of Radha we find is uh, in Brahma Vaivarta Purana and uh, Devi Bhagavatam. In Devi Bhagavatam, uh, Goloka is like uh, like another Vaikuntha or you know there Krishna is not Vishnu. Krishna is an independent uh, independent God who's uh, you know who is equivalent to Devi, the supreme goddess in his uh, knowledge or in his uh, divinity, right? Even uh, Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva are shown as somebody, uh, you know, dependent on the Adi Shakti, but uh, Krishna is shown as her equal. And Radha is uh, his consort in Goloka. So the traditional scholars, uh, the way they have reconciled both are, by uh, looking at Radha as the Gupta Naika. So basically she is uh, Krishna's Ahladini Shakti. So where, the, where Krishna smiles, it is because Radha is with him. So portraying Radha here will need us to get into another plane. I see. Yes. So, uh, so we will not see Radha coming and contending with any of Krishna's uh, gross concerts, that's the Ashtabharyas. So she is present, always present in a subtler plane. That's how, uh, you know, we can interpret or reconcile both these narratives. Fascinating. Uh, Dr. Rajshri Vasudevan has a question. He asks, Namaste, can you elaborate on the conscious choices you made in choosing some aspects over others in the writing of this book? And I think you briefly touched upon that in, you know, the, the, the arc of the story and, uh, you know, whose uh, point of view and whether it adds or what do you want to add anything to that uh, side? 
Uh, one thing I would like to add uh, to the benefit of uh, writer, uh, you know, writers who would want to uh, attempt this genre. See, there is a say a fashion or something where uh, some kind of a craze where the writer wants to portray gods as mortals, right? Mortals with uh, no magical power, you know. And right, I mean, I won't uh, judge that attitude because great people, great writers who have given us classics over the last uh, five, six decades have experimented this model like you know the best of them being Yasal Bhairapavru in his Parva there is you know no mention of divinity and uh, we and it's an immortal classic you know, that's something uh, no Mahabharata enthusiast should miss reading uh, but uh, with my limited experience uh, you know what I would say uh, about writers attempting this whole divinity rational uh, this one is to go with what they can visualize and don't decide uh, uh, you know don't make a decision in the beginning of your story to portray a god as man or manners god or you know whatever because yes it is uh, not possible for us to visualize god as is like krishna's whole divinity none of us can actually visualize his vishwarupa say uh, you know uh, to people he who he showed vishwarupa like say arjuna or devaki when he was born in bhagavatam both of them prayed krishna to get back to his normal form so that you know you know this is this is a truth that we are not able to bear so you know get us back into that world of maya where you know you are my friend you are my son oh. So let me enjoy being your mother or let me enjoy being your friend or cousin or uh, this one. So they, uh, they could not handle that truth, right? So the, as writers, I think we should stay open to that divinity and divinity will have its way of showing, in, showing itself in the stories, uh, provided we don't decide at the beginning, that's my uh, one advice to writers. So, in in some ways, you're saying you're asking such you know you're asking authors to write on such topics to check their ego outside the door, and and write with this some humility and and less of you know ego that I shall do what has not been done before. Yeah, uh, that's uh, I mean that that's what will happen. Uh, you know when uh, you when you try and stay humble and uh, not let uh, the author come and cover the character right something unique will come out that has been a personal experience as well as uh, i don't know i'm not in, not qualified enough to advise or uh, you know set standards and uh, you know guidelines to writers but this is what i have experienced so i, I just like very true to share. Uh, so, you know, uh, Pranshu has a couple of questions uh, and uh, uh, can Jarasand be seen as a Yudhishthira or Dharmraj of the opposing philosophy? He ruthlessly used his power, his uh, connections uh, and, you know, Sam, Dham, Dandabhed, a Kotila-like figure not suited for Dwapar, maybe a Kalyog Dharmraj come too early. 
And he says that Jain Nemit Charita has the story Jarasand attempted in alliance with Vasudev and then went uh, for the next best option, which was Kamsa. So this again shows a soft glove approach by Jarasand. That's a that's a fascinating uh, you know question, a conjecture in itself. That was he a, a dharmaraj more suited for you know for 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 you know Kalyug rather than. Uh, and in Dwapar, the best he could be was, you know, be the Dharmaraj of the Adharmic side. So, in a way, uh, I cannot uh, exactly uh, state with authority on the Yuga Dharmas and, uh, you know, the match there. But yes, uh, in the last couple of days, last couple of weeks with the second wave of pandemic raging and the way we are seeing narratives against India, uh, there have been times where I have, uh, you know, where we can think uh, somebody like Jarasandha should have been here on the helm, you know, to teach these guys <laughs> a lesson. But uh, yes, because uh, because he exits too early in the Mahabharata, we are not exactly able to appreciate uh, his uh, the whole because the uh, antagonist or uh, Pratinarayana in our Pratinarayana is the one who makes Narayana, who inspires the birth of Narayana into an avatar. And uh, he cannot be all that is bad. It's not, he's not evil. He is greatness gone wrong. Hiranyakashpu. Hiranyakashpu is greatness gone wrong. Ravana is greatness gone wrong. Correct. And in, in terms of the, the Mahajanpads that existed at that time, if you leave aside uh, uh, Narakasur, Perhaps Jarasand was the most powerful Mahajanpad at the time. You know, the, politically, the, it will be safe for us to say Jarasandha is one of the most powerful uh, because we see uh, again we cannot uh, I cannot say it with authority, but uh, Bhishma and Jarasandha never clashed, and Bhishma is such a feared warrior. But even he did not think of putting Jarasandha in his place uh, unless Pranchu has a uh, has some incident from his reading because uh, to other viewers, I would say Pranchu is uh, one of the writers in uh, uh, Unsung Valor and he's uh, written a beautiful story about uh, Yudhamanyu and Uttamaujas uh, defeating Duryodhana and uh, uh, he's another living Wikipedia of our Quranic uh, knowledge so if uh, unless you have something from somewhere pranchu i don't think uh, bhima and bhishma and jarasandha clashed anywhere and that itself is a clue about uh, jarasandha's power even bhishma did not want to risk pandu did not want to risk correct and even dushra didn't want to risk he was exactly. essentially he he had to be there's an entire uh, there's several chapters uh, in uh, uh, in in uh, I think the the Sabha Parva where uh, Krishna convinces Yudhishthira to do that. Yes. But Pranisha has one more question and he asks, was Rukmini the first of the wives of Krishna or the most prominent? Her status as Krishna's Patarani is quality-wise or just chronological? I am more inclined to say it is quality-wise. It may all may be chronological the way we uh, you know we read Bhagavatam. It looks chronological as well as quality-wise because you know we see uh, a whole change in dynamics once Rukmini is married to Krishna. Uh, you know there are, there are other princesses who followed her suit, like say Mitravinda. Mitravinda also eloped with Krishna. Uh, 
and uh, who else jambavati uh, jambavati you know more or less uh, that was also where, where krishna defeats uh, jambavan and Jambu. marries her and uh, then okay lakshana is swayamvara lakshana and another satya they are uh, married to him through swayamvara and uh, probably when bhadra chose him her brothers have learnt their lesson from others and they did not oppose they just okay. willingly gave uh, uh, bhadra to krishna and so and uh, that kind of started uh, you know look at the geographical location of uh, dwaraka saurashtra you know see they are almost surrounded by uh, the fathers in law of krishna you know the, if you just leave the matsya matsya apart matsya is not a you know enemy or you know probably they yeah, did right. not have a princess who would who could uh, marry krishna in that age we hear about uttara who comes in the next generation but uh, but otherwise uh, it basically rukmini's wedding to krishna defined a new power center yeah, right dwaraka right and we see that rukmini is not uh, once rukmini is married to krishna right of course uh, you know after his initial struggle with krishna he is somebody who has accepted that relationship he also gives his daughter to pradyumna his granddaughter to uh, aniruddha you know after that there is a whole dice game that goes wrong again now uh, which is uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was yes i mean i think yeah uh and who uh, who who would have expected uh, you know balram but anyway yeah that's uh, a whole another discussion <laughs> so uh, gv shiv kumar our very own shiv kumar who also is one of the authors of the un- anthology unsung ballad he has a question you have written about draupadi and rukmini two archetypes of our civilization how do you contrast your creative efforts in etching their characters ah uh, this is uh interesting question because i was surprised myself the way the characters chose to uh, appear to me because uh, before writing draupadi i expected her uh, the her to turn out to be very feisty and aggressive uh, uh, kind of a lady and she turned out to be a poised uh, compassionate woman while uh, yes. rukmini <laughs> rukmini traditionally has the uh that uh, uh, what do you say a patient uh, forbearing uh, picture and she turned out like a whirlwind uh, you know <laughs> she turned out a, an epitome of uh, feistiness uh, and uh, that's uh, how i think we are our place with our minds the storytellers minds <laughs> so uh, i would uh, also say that uh, draupadi uh, to me she represented as a counterbalancing force uh, who brought back uh, who was involved in bringing back a world gone wrong to its rightful place so her struggle was from the uh, you know the whole uh, wrong to right there uh, she had to play a counterbalancing force which is why probably uh, she appeared as that poised lady to me she is not somebody who loses it uh, but uh, rukmini is somebody who took birth in a uh, circumstance which was going wrong and uh, there was nobody to listen to her which is why she had to you know shout at from the top at the top of her voice and uh, you know take those sharp decisions those uh, rebellious decisions which is why uh, 
he she appeared that way <laughs> it's interesting you mention it because if one looks at it draupadi was fated to be born and play the role that she did rukmani on the other hand takes some conscious decisions and choices which i think uh, uh, require her personality to be more domineering however the way you know we read or we understand draupadi's character is slightly different but so it's a fascinating question in itself and i think uh, shivu i think we will need to get on a separate call just to talk through this one of these days uh so side before i i finish i want to uh, read up what pranshu has said and one more comment and then i will turn it over to you for the final words so pranshu uh, says that in you know, satyabhama in the indonesian mahabharat is a panchal princess as the indonesian mahabharat conflates uh, satyajit and satyajit so she is also the sister of satyaki and thus a strong pandav ally and he says that chronological would be problematic as issue of krishna's age difference yeah. with shishupal shishupal yes and he visits you know his aunt when shishupal yes, is yes, born yes. and so on uh yeah. and could sunita and shishupal be two different people conflated later and uh, sunita is a big ally of the pandav and student of arjun and the sabhapar who vanishes in later parvas another name for shishupal is uh, is sunita so fascinating part in itself i i think i'll want to go back to uh, I would like to tonight. interview Pranshu actually. Uh, you know, on these uh, unknown exactly. nuggets uh, from the various versions of Mahabharata. So there are a lot of these uh, contrasting, uh, uh, you know, portrayals which uh, cause a lot of uh, problems for people like us who want to view it from a rational sense. Like say Pradyumna. Uh, he is basically present everywhere along with krishna which makes us doubt i mean you know like pratyumna is krishna's son uh, he has his whole journey of getting lost and uh, you know growing up at uh, the place of shambhrasura and uh, coming back and yet he is there uh, he is mentioned in uh, draupadi swayamvara he is mentioned in the rajasuya he is mentioned almost everywhere and then he mysteriously disappears during uh, you know kurukshetra right so then uh, you know these there are these uh, uh, mentions which uh, where i think uh, people like us will have to make a choice and go with whatever supports it uh, not with any agenda or anything uh, i would say i would say don't uh, make your decisions based on agenda but uh, you know with what however the flow commands and yeah, yes and uh, dr vasudevan uh, writes that uh, uh, indic book clubs publications based on our itihasas and puranas and such sessions with the authors themselves bring such solace and hope in these pandemic times and assurance that we will bounce back given our strong civilizational tradition i cannot thank you all enough for this and thank you thank you dr vasudevan your words uh, do mean a lot and they are the kind of i think encouragement and inspiration that causes us leads us to you know double down on our efforts so folks sai surupa's latest book rukmini is is an incredible read i was fortunate enough to read 
had an early copy of it that she had shared with me and the account is very moving it is evocative it's very poignant at times it touches you and it is a wonderfully woven story of rukmini's journey from childhood to the to the end in whatever were in a way you you think of it as the end without distortions without misrepresentations and yet it is storytelling at its finest so please do pick a copy of that book and uh, do share it uh, your feedback your thoughts your reviews on on you know uh, websites on goodreads on social media because the only way you you know you can encourage uh, uh, you know sai to continue writing such great books is by giving that feedback and by uh i'm not sure if, so over to you sai yes uh, thank you thanks a lot again uh, and yes uh, as abhinav said uh, we require each of your reviews every review makes a difference and it doesn't just apply to my books but every indic author that you see and you want to grow uh, upon narratives that work for indic civilization please uh, buy their books and also be a part of uh, this thousand reviewer club uh, that indic book club is uh, you know the initiative of indic book club talk about it in your circles uh, gift them to like minded people review it on uh, amazon flipkart goodreads wherever you buy it because a review space there a word of mouth may have a, a validity or a, you know shelf life but a review space there forever and that's how a career as well a career of the writer as well as the larger narrative uh, stays on so please keep uh, reviewing our books and uh, please be a part of indic book club uh, facebook group uh, we'll continue to have vibrant discussions thank you thanks a lot abhinav uh, this is a wonderful opportunity indic book club uh, i consider it as the home uh, which nurtured me it's, uh, it's my uh, creative home and it's my uh, cultural and civilizational home as well uh, so thank you indica thank you indic book club thank you abhinav thank you viewers thank you sai and thank you all for joining we'll be putting this video up on youtube in a couple of days thank you